Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center's online sermon podcast. We hope the Lord will bless you today. I want to thank you for listening in. In today's sermon, Pastor Rob will be speaking on the topic, Pentecost, and what it means to us. Amen. So, so as we started even before we, we got going on service, today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, Pentecost Sunday was a Jewish feast that happened 50 days after the Passover. And so it, it was... It was uh, um, it was called the Feast of Weeks, and it happened 50 days. That's where the Penta comes in on that. And so that's what Pentecost was. It actually, some of us think it was a Christian, it's a Christian thing. It actually was a Jewish holiday, um, feast that they would celebrate 50 days afterwards um, of the Passover. And so there would be the, the seven Sabbaths, and then they would have a special Sabbath, and they would bring the, uh, you know, bring the offerings and do things like that. Now, the timing of it's really important. So this morning I want to give a little bit of background on on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. I also want to help us understand a little bit, so we're going to have a little bit of history of the Christian church and the Pentecostal church. Now, how many of you know that we are a Pentecostal church? Some of you went, I did not know that, and I don't know what a Pentecostal church is. In fact, the only run-in you may have had with Pentecostals are, are those that wear dresses, the men wear long sleeves, the women have long hair, don't wear makeup, and that's the United Pentecostal. We are not United Pentecostal. But by the end of the service today, I really pray and hope that you will be a little bit informed of, of what Pentecost was that you'll see what happened um, in the Pentecostal movement that really started in the 1800s. Most, uh, it, it began to start in the 1800s and then started in 1901. And then w- by the end of the service, that we'll be crying out again just as we were in worship, Holy Spirit, come. See, we, we live in a, in a time that we don't need just churchianity just uh, a, a group to come. We need the power of God. And when Jesus left, he didn't leave us alone. And that's what we want to get into. So when, in, in, when Jesus walked along the earth and he ministered to his disciples, he did miracles. He told the disciples that, that they would be able to do greater things than he did. And he showed them how to live and how to walk. And that whole time was a disciple-making disciple process and he was raising them up. But at the end of his time, he began to explain to them that he was going away. John 13 and 14 is that great, uh, great set of passages where he's having the last supper with his disciples in John chapter 13 and 14. You know, in the beginning of 13, he comes and he washes their feet. And he has that last time with them before he goes up to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's betrayed, and then ultimately handed into the hands um, to be crucified. So it's a powerful night. And in these, in these passages, he goes and he says, I'm going away, you can't come, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send, he's going to be a comforter, he's going to be a counselor. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, but I'm going to send you something, I'm going to send you power. And so he's promising that when he ascends, actually ascended, that he would send us the Holy Spirit. Now, we say the Holy Spirit. I say the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to retrain my wording because by saying the Holy Spirit, we make it sound, it sound like an it, like a thing. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity of God. Jesus, the Son, God the Father, God Holy Spirit. See, God is the Holy Spirit. So it's not an it. He is God come down so that we would walk in power and have his presence in our life all the time. He's not to be set aside and say, well, we we love Jesus and we love God and then we have the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like Casper the ghost and he comes around and does some great things for us. He is God himself. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he says, I'm going to send Holy Spirit to you. Now, there is some confusion because the, the moment we are saved, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. The moment that we repent from our sins and dedicate our life to the Lord, we're saved. Holy Spirit 
lives inside of us. So why did Jesus have to send Holy Spirit again? This is really an interesting thing. Now, there's different beliefs in, in, in even what Holy Spirit baptism is today in the church um, and what the gifts and the works of the Holy Spirit are. Uh, the Baptist church, for example, um, the, believes doctrinally that the work of the Holy Spirit did happen, but at the end of what they call the apostolic age, when all the apostles basically died, Holy Spirit stopped doing anything and all the gifts stopped. There was no more prophecies, no more tongues, no more miracles and healing, all those things. Not that God can't do it, but the moving of the Holy Spirit stopped. It's actually called cessationism or cessationalism. And that's a doctrine taught in the Baptist church. I was really excited to hear that Pastor Michael White a few months ago preached in the Baptist church and says, you know, I know that that's our doctrinal belief, but it's not in the scriptures. And I want, I want you all to know that Holy Spirit is still moving today and doing these things. Isn't that awesome to know that within this church, even in that, because there's a need for Holy Spirit to be active in our lives and that there is something else. Now, I'm going to go as quickly as I can to show you something about the Holy Spirit and his secondary work in our lives in addition to salvation, okay? Jesus, when he was crucified, it was the Passover weekend, right? He, he, he was crucified. Um, they took him down before the Passover or, you know, it, it be, before, before the Sabbath so that they could bury him and they didn't have to do any work on the Sabbath and they put him in the tomb and then on Sunday morning is the day that we know, know that he rose again. Now, Pentecost was 50 days later. The Bible says that Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he walked for how many days? 40. 40 days Jesus walked. Okay? So there was the three days after after the, the feast, the Passover feast, that he was in the tomb. Then he walked for 40 days among us. Now, on the 40th day, he says he was, dis- it was disciples in the, in the beginning of Acts. We can go there if you want. Uh, Acts chapter 1, which is really the history of the church, and it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I really think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because there is so much uh, movement and things happening by the Holy Spirit. And so as he goes in, in Acts chapter 1, he says that he was with his, his disciples. Let's start in verse um, 4, 1, 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is important, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptized is really important because it is that same thing. A bapti- the word baptizo in the Greek is like to fully immerse. Um, it, they would use it if they were dying a garment in the Greek. They would use, if they were, they were going to die a garment, they would say, I baptizoed it. I baptized it. I fully immersed it in the dye so that when it came out, it was fully changed. It was fully died. If you took a ladle and put it into the water to draw water out, you would baptize it. It's the same word they would use. You would baptize it. I mean, fully immersed. And Jesus is saying, I'm going, you're going to be baptized, fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. That's different, isn't it? I always forget which, put on my glasses, take off my glasses. I don't know anymore. Not many days from now. And so they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he begins to go, and then starting in verse 9, it says that, that he ascends before them, right? And he's taken up into the clouds, and the angels come, and they say, what are you looking for? In the same way that he departed, he's going to come back again. Now, that's another message. We sang that in worship today, too. Sing a song of celebration. He's coming again someday. We're going to go to heaven to celebrate. Last night in our time of uh, our potluck, praise worship, our time last night, which was a really nice time together, we ended the time with singing some of the, the old Jewish-sounding songs, and we celebrated. And we're going to have a time where we incorporate those either in a Sunday morning or a Saturday night where we can dance and celebrate and really just get into his presence and, because he is worth celebrating. He really is, and we, we can be very stoic, and some people are more conservative than others, I understand that, but culturally, the culture that Jesus came out of, you know, the Jewish culture, and then all the Mediterranean cultures, they know how to celebrate, you know, hava, hava, they celebrate, they dance, and so we want, you know, I believe that there's something wonderful in that, 
And that was a side note that, that just took me crazy. But, um, and so, so he's, he's going to come back again. That's going to be a celebration. We're going to be forever in heaven. And I don't think we're going to be sitting on pews. I think we're going to be celebrating in heaven. It's going to be amazing. I don't know. You know, we had a great conversation a few weeks ago in, in, our, in our group on Wednesday nights when we're doing the, the uh, True Spirituality with Chip Ingram. And we got onto the topic of heaven. It's like, well, you know, what is it going to be like? And he's like, well, there's going to be motorcycles there. Can we ride motorcycles? And can we get to fly? And, you know, I don't know. But, but if Jesus left 2,000 years ago to go and prepare a place for us, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it took him six days, and Jesus has been working on heaven for 2,000 years, like Keith Green says, we're living in a garbage can compared to what's waiting for us. And it's just going to be awesome. I don't need to know anymore. God is good. He's preparing something that's really good for me. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be incredible. And I believe there's going to be that celebration. So Jesus ascended into heaven. And, and the angels tell the disciples, listen, he's going to come back just like this. And he's going to take you up to heaven with you. But until then, go wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. That's what Jesus said. Go wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, here's kind of the, the, the instructional part here for us to think about. When Jesus came, he had a job to do. He had a job to do. When he was born on this earth, he had to live life fully man. And he did that for 33 years. He had to remain sinless. And he did that for 33 years. He had to be beaten and betrayed in order to really relate and to take our sins fully upon him, he had to go through the process and he had to be crucified and he had to die and his blood had to be shed. He had to do those things. Now, at the moment on the cross, at the end of everything, Jesus says this amazing line. He says, it is finished. Now, everything he had to do on this earth was done, but he wasn't done yet. So, so even though he said it is finished, his work on earth was done. But the Bible teaches us that when he died, when he was crucified and he actually died, he went and we could say preached the gospel in hell and he took away the keys of death and hell and he was dead for three days. Then he rose again. He had to rise again to show us that there was a resurrection from the dead. So he still wasn't done yet until he rose again from the grave. And then he walked with us for 40 days teaching us and tell, helping us to understand some more parts of the kingdom. I think helping the disciples to go, now let's put all the pieces together. Remember everything I used to tell you? Now, do you see it in a different light? You know, when Jesus first said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, he hadn't been crucified yet. What were they thinking? You know who took up their cross? Criminals. Murderers. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus rose from the grave, he probably had a conversation with them and they went, oh, I didn't understand what you're talking about then. You know, we have to willingly sacrifice ourselves. That's not what the cross meant before Jesus. It was for criminals. So the lights over the course of the 40 days kept coming on for the disciples. Oh, I get it. I get it. I, I'm, we see what the kingdom of God is about. So for 40 days, he walked and then... He ascended. Now, it really wasn't done until he ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, right? He says, I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father, that if you ask anything in my name, you shall have it. It shall be done for you. Remember? So until he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God, it wasn't done yet. But when he did that, it was done. There was nothing more that Jesus had to do. Why didn't the Holy Spirit come immediately? You ever think about that? If Jesus, if everything was done, the moment he went to heaven, the Holy Spirit should have been there. But he left them alone, so to speak, for a few days, seven days. Why? Because when we're saved... The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's what generates, regenerates our life. He's what causes us to, to know what sin is and to be convicted of sin, and that happens at salvation. But the disciples didn't receive the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit for seven more days. Because that is different than being saved and having the Holy Spirit have been part of your life in regeneration. Baptism in the Holy Spirit happened after they waited. And, and the, then it says in Acts chapter 2, which is, which let's go ahead and read that. Starting in, it's the scriptures we read this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, seven days before, after Jesus ascended, they were all with one accord in one place, 120 of them. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then goes on, and, and Peter's preaching. And so this was a different experience. Pentecost was the giving of the Holy Spirit to endue us with power, to change our lives different in addition to salvation, to actually live inside of us and give us power. Now we see all over the New Testament, all the way through the book of Acts, where Holy Spirit would fall and powerful things would happen. They would preach with boldness. They would speak in tongues. They would prophesy. All these things happen as a result of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to say this a few times so we can hear it and make sure that, that you understand what I'm, I'm saying. Every saved believer has the Holy Spirit. But not every saved believer has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. There's a difference. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in power. Comes with signs and wonders. Um, in, I went to John instead of Luke. In Luke chapter 11... We've read this, and you maybe have never seen it. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be opened. Then it goes in verse 11. This is where it starts getting good here. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You've read that before and didn't hear it, didn't you? He's talking about asking, but he's saying, listen, you have to ask for God to give you the Holy Spirit. And if you do, he'll give it. If the Holy Spirit is part of my salvation, if this is what he's talking about, I don't have to ask for it. I don't even have to know about it. It just happens when I put my trust and faith in Christ, which it does. The Holy Spirit is the whole reason that I'm saved. He regenerates my life. I had the Holy Spirit, but I had to go and ask for the Holy Spirit to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is what Pentecostalism is. This is what the understanding of Pentecost was, that there was an extra. It's like, wow, salvation wasn't enough. He wants to give us something that's going to change our life and give us power to evangelize, to reach the lost, to lay hands on the sick, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, not so that we can feel better about ourselves. We have a misunderstanding in the church. We want the Holy Spirit to come so we can have Holy Spirit parties. That's out of place. That's not what it's about. He sends the Holy Spirit so that we will have life and power in him, but not so we can just bless, be blessed and feel good and warm and ooh, woo, this is great. He says when he pours out the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's for the edification so that one might have a prophecy and it'll in, in encourage the whole body. So the Holy Spirit, now, now there is one th- aspect of being baptized in the Holy Spirit that is just for me. And that is actually speaking in tongues. 
Now, there, there, there's a couple of different kinds of tongues, just so we, so we don't get lost in that, because Corinthians does say, it says that in a church meeting, if somebody should speak in a tongue, somebody should interpret so that the whole church is edified. Now, that's a tongue with an interpretation, and that's, that's part of the gifts of the Spirit. But there's another aspect of tongues that says, but if he's in a service, he should speak to himself and to God if he's speaking in tongues, not loudly. Jude chapter 20, Jude, Jude verse 20, says that you should build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. That's a, that's a gift to edify me. It's not for edifying anyone else. That's why you know, I, I try to do it very quietly, but I pray in tongues all the time. But I try not to do it loudly so that I don't disturb you, because sometimes I also pray in Spanish. I, sometimes I just want to pray in Spanish. I don't, I, I don't know why, but I, I do. And so that prayer language edifies me. That's the one part of the Holy Spirit. It's all about me. And he says, I want to edify you in a special way. I'm going to give you this gift. And it says that when we pray in tongues, we utter mysteries that we don't even understand. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings and words that men can't comprehend. And so Holy Spirit comes because we ask him. And then the the disciples, they waited in the upper room for about a week. And the Holy Spirit came and everything changed in the church on that day. Everything changed. Before, Jesus was preaching to multitudes and they were there. But even the amounts of people that began to follow him, they were were wishy-washy. They didn't grow. But the moment Holy Spirit came down in power, the church began to grow. And you see 3,000, 5,000, not hearing only, but being added to their number. Because that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do, is so much of it is an outward thing about evangelism, about helping us to reach the lost. Now, what what about that? So throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, we see where people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're being filled for, like I said, all the things of evangelism and you know, preaching bold, with boldness. Who, whoever lacks confidence when they want to share their faith? You know, that's, that's, that's what happens to us. One of the primary thing, things for the Holy Spirit to come is to give you boldness to proclaim your faith. And so we sit and pray, God, give me the boldness of the Holy Spirit right now and we find ourselves, as Peter did, with boldness that doesn't even make sense. Changing somebody who's maybe timid into somebody who can preach with power. Somebody who maybe isn't even good with words and you've witnessed this, I'm sure, and maybe it's happened to you, and all of a sudden they're eloquent and they have the right things to say. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's Holy Spirit really glorifying the Trinity through you. So that is the birthday and the birth of our Christian heritage. Now, what happened? That we're going to fast forward a long time because I don't believe that the Holy Spirit left. I don't believe anything changed. But there was not an emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit because a lot of the people fell into that, well, they're not for today anymore. But we, we know of histories and miracles Throughout history, I'm sorry, we know of the history of miracles and things throughout history that there still were miracles happening. I believe that was all through the Holy Spirit. We're going to fast forward all the way to the 19th century and give us an update of Pentecostalism in the church today. In the 1800s, I'll try to make this kind of quick so we get it. In the 1800s, there was a move of, of people coming to a, what was called the holiness movement. And they really felt that the mainline churches were walking away from holiness and walking away from the things of God. And they began to get, just really try to live righteous and holy. And through that, that movement of the holiness, it began to also say, but I think God has given us something more. And it found these people seeking God, reading the Bible and say, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today and that we've lost it. We've walked away from it. We haven't allowed it to live in our lives. And they began to pursue God and the Holy Spirit to say, there's got to be something more. And it all changed radically in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. 
That's, that's when, when it, it, the, the, the big, they can trace it back to the biggest, the, bi- the biggest beginning change. And there's one that happens a few years later. But a guy named Charles Parham, he was a holiness teacher. He was a former Methodist. But he was having these meetings in, um, in Kansas. And the first recorded person, her name was Agnes Osman. I didn't even know about her. She got filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues on January 1st, 1901. And, 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 and they didn't uh, know anyone else who spoke in tongues. Now, I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about tongues for a second so we understand. The word in the, in the Greek is glossalia, if I pronounce that correctly. It, just, it means languages or tongues. In, in Old English, they used to call a language a tongue. We don't use that anymore, so, so for us, but it was very interchangeable. Now, let's try to picture this here. 120 people are gathered around in a room, and there's more than 3,000 people that are listening. They're coming by, because we know that 3,000 get saved, so there's probably more than that. And they all begin to speak in tongues. The fire of God falls down, and they all begin to speak in tongues. Let's, let's for a second call that languages. Okay, languages. We don't know what languages they are yet. Um, we find out that if you read it a little bit further in Acts, that there were um, at least 13 languages represented there. 13. That's a lot. Okay, so we've got some Spanish, Norwegian, English. Do we have any German or Russian in here today? Any other languages? Got some... We have some German. We have some French. Oh, yeah, we got French over there, too. So we got some French. It'd be really fun if we could just all start speaking in those languages. I, could we try that? <laughs> Can we try that? Uh, we're going we, to do it, okay? Everyone who speaks a different language, I want you, this, you, know, you I'm going to ask you to be bold. And it can just be one phrase. It can be Jack and Jill went up the hill. I don't care what you say. But I want everyone to speak a sentence over and over again in the language that they know. Okay? Okay, so think about what you're going to say. It's going to be easy for Gudrun, I think. Shannon, I'm looking at you. French. French. Okay. Yes, Chinese, is Gio here also? Gio is supposed to be. Uh-oh. We're, she's going to say a, a Chinese, okay? And so, um, and I'll turn this off so I don't have a microphone. on the recording so you know so uh. I'll get back on the recording who understood any of it Sixty. Uh, Multiply that times two, listening by four, five, six thousand people, and the Bible says that everyone heard in their own language. Not a chance. Not a chance. What happened? A miracle. The Holy Spirit came, and I believe the miracle is this. They, I don't even know if they were speaking the languages. But everyone, the Bible says, the Bible does not say, and they spoke in the languages of the people. They said they spoke in tongues, and everybody heard in their own language. Is it possible that they were all speaking, and some of you maybe have never even heard somebody pray or speak in tongues. Is it possible that they were just speaking in a language that was really unknown to anyone and that God did a miracle in the hearer and not in the speaker? That's where the miracle happened either way because I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. This was gibberish, and we only had maybe 40 of you speaking. Multiply that times three, and we won't understand a word. 
And there was only four languages represented, not 13. A miracle happened on that day. People spoke in tongues and God used that to build the beginning of the church. It's awesome. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, we come forward to the 1900s, 1901, and the first woman recorded who begins to speak in tongues, January 1st, 1901. And it starts this rebirth of the Holy Spirit coming and doing something different, coming in power. Now go forward just five years, move west across the country from Topeka, Kansas to a little place in Los Angeles, Azusa Street. Has anyone heard of seeing Azusa Street there? Okay, Azusa Street in Los Angeles, 1906. A black preacher, no less, a black preacher who's a first-generation freedman. His parents were both slaves. First generation, they asked him to come and pastor a former Methodist church that's a holiness church. And he had been at the meetings in 1901 in Topeka where they began to talk about the Holy Spirit being for today, coming with gifts and power and changing things. And he begins these meetings that last three years And this was the birth of the Pentecostal movement in the United States and that has affected the entire world. Okay? Pentecostal is not a bad word. For some of you who go, ooh, you're going to be surprised at how many people are Pentecostal and who've gotten their roots from 1901 and 1906. So William Seymour, he is a black and he begins these services and they do them seven days a week, three times a day for three years. You guys ready for that? We're going to have service at noon and then at 7 o'clock again tonight. And we're going to do it again tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And they were full and people, thousands of people came to these meetings and got changed. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues and their lives were changed. This was such a radical event in the church. This is, uh, there, there's so many reports of what would happen, but people from neighboring houses and neighbors called the fire department multiple times because they said the building was on fire. And there was reports of people seeing this place, uh, this church, with flames coming out of the windows. And so the fire department would show up and it was just people celebrating, speaking in tongues. And you go, I think I heard about that somewhere. Acts chapter 2. And tongues as a fire came and sat on everybody. And it changed. It was a sound of like a rushing wind. And God showed up and everyone changed. Everything changed. When God shows up on the scene, things get messy and they change. From 1906, we trace the Pentecostal movement all over the world. Today, the Pentecostal church, if, if, if you could all lump us into one church, has over 500 million people that consider themselves Pentecostal. Denominations that we're familiar with started from this. Shortly after 1906 and 1914 is when the Assemblies of God birthed, and it birthed out of this movement of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Now, this is a great thing in what happened in 1906. Somebody said something to the effect of the Holy Spirit is, uh, it, uh, talked about how the Holy Spirit was, was dying all the color in, in, in blood, um, t- changing everything because it was black pastors, black people next to white people in 1906 worshiping God. That didn't happen. And they were worshiping God. And the Assemblies of God was birthed out of that just, uh, but just eight years later. Then the Foursquare Church um, was, was um, birthed out of that movement also in the 20s, 1927, I believe. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's around 23, 27. Amy Semple McPherson started the Foursquare Church. Now, the Assemblies of God is the largest Pentecostal denomination. It's one of the largest denominations on the planet. And there are some 66 million people in the Assemblies of God Church that are Pente- the Pentecostals all throughout the world. Um, the the Foursquare Church is, is like some uh, 8 million people um, throughout, throughout the world. It's amazing. 60,000 churches. And those are just some of the real 
known Pentecostal churches. Let's go back some years and see what was happening. Even at the beginning in the, in the early 1900s, a guy named John G. Lake, he was an insurance man. He went to one of these conferences. He got filled with the Holy Spirit, got changed. He went off after a time and he went to Southern Africa and started movements in South Africa where from those churches, there's a church that I believe still exists today that has some 6 million people in it and 2 million people come to celebrate Easter every year still to this church. Now, go into South Korea. Though, though its, its roots aren't directly tied there, we could, we could tie them there. Yoido Full Gospel Church is a Pentecostal, spirit-filled church where a million people gather regularly to worship God. The Pentecostal church movement is what has brought the power of God back into people's life, and it's changed Christianity forever. Happy birthday, church. This is our birthday. And so what does it mean? That God did not want us to just live a ho-hum life and walk around always being defeated. He wanted to send Holy Spirit to not just get us saved, but to live in us in power, that we might walk in victory, that we might have gifts to impart to other people, words of prophecy and revelation and speaking in tongues and gifts of miracles and healing so that the church would be built up and wouldn't just be ho-hum and blah. But today we're afraid of it. We really are. We're afraid of of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to a large degree, I think, because when God shows up, when the Holy Spirit does things, it gets weird. 120 people speaking in weird languages and people getting saved and who knows what's really going on. Now let's go back there for a second because there's been a lot of things happen in the church. And, and, and when we, let, let me tie a few other churches in here. Throughout, throughout this century, last century, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit happened and it affected churches that you don't know. John Wimber, the vineyard. He was a Quaker, p- part of Fuller Theological Seminary, and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and they basically kick him out, and he starts a church called the Vineyard. Now, the Vineyard has, has transformed thousands and thousands and probably millions of lives, but part of that, though, though it was indirect, was at the same time or, or a little bit earlier, you have um, Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, he gets saved. He starts a church. Well, did you know Calvary Chapel is a charismatic Pentecostal church? They believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They're huge. All over, we see the handprint of God and the Holy Spirit moving through denominations. And so, because they know that there is something more that, that God wants to move in our midst and that he didn't leave us alone. He wanted us to walk in power through the Holy Spirit. So now, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 and, and have some more fun in understanding what may have happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching. And they're hearing the proclamations of God in their own language, which is really interesting. I would be kind of freaked out about that. And it says that some of the men there said, these men are drunk, right? Right? They've had too much wine. And they said, oh, it's too early in the morning for that. Well, I've met some people. They don't need to be, doesn't need to be late for them to be drunk. Right? That's not. Okay. Confession time. Who's ever gotten drunk? Okay, this is a confession time, right? Okay. (laughs) Right? Many of us in this room have, have been drunk. When you got drunk, did you speak Russian? <laughs> Gibberish. Anyone speak Chinese? That, isn't that one of the common things that happen? When you see some guy speaking another language, you automatically assume he's drunk. Oh my gosh, that sounds like Russian. He must be drunk. Is that Taiwanese? He must be drunk. That's dumb. They heard their own language and assumed that they were drunk. Is it possible that it wasn't because they were speaking in tongues, in languages that they thought they were drunk? 
What do drunk people do? Stagger. Slur of speech. Have you ever heard someone praying in tongues? They almost sound drunk. And you don't understand. It is gibberish. I've seen people fall down, stagger, laugh, cry. Those are the common things associated with getting drunk. Not speaking another language. Who's been to a Pentecostal meeting that scared you to death? What were they doing? Staggering, falling, laughing, crying. Oh, huh? Rolling on the floor. Is it possible? Is it just possibly possible that when the Holy Spirit fell, that those things were happening then, and that when the Holy Spirit moves today, that some of the same things are happening today? I'm not going to build a doctrine out of that, but I, I am 99.9% sure that they did not think they were drunk because they were speaking Cretan. The Holy Spirit came and did some crazy stuff, and it gets uncomfortable. Now, here's another question. Who's been slain in the Spirit? And, and I'll say this, not a courtesy fall. <laughs> We've done courtesy falls. I've done courtesy falls. Who's been slain in the Spirit? Who would say, something came upon me, I couldn't stand anymore, I fell down, and it was weird. You're out of control. It's something different. And God comes... But when he does that, and I've done, I've done courtesy falls. You, know, you get the heavy-handed preacher, and you know, he's praying for you, and you, you, you run out of space to back up, and you think, the only way I can have him stop pushing me is now to fall down. Okay, and so we do. Hey, I'm, this is real. We're not going to hide anything. This is, this is real. So this happens too. And, and not, all, not everyone is really trying to push you down. Um, Mark, you can listen to this message. Make sure we send him a copy. Mark, is, Mark Johnson's heavy-handed. He just gets excited when he's praying for people. So when he's praying for people, he'll start praying. But pretty soon, he's putting pressure on. He's not trying to push you down. He's just excited. So some people aren't trying to make you fall. Anyways, I'm not talking about a courtesy fall. I'm talking about I'm standing. Now I'm on the floor. I don't know what happened. And God is doing something inside of me. It's come with tears. It's come with laughter for me. I didn't like that one. I think I talked about that. But God's doing something. The Holy Spirit, we need to allow God to be God. And for us to say, you know, I don't have to be in control anymore. Now, I'm not talking about being goofy and letting people, people be weird. But what about letting God be God in our life? And let him do something that maybe makes us uncomfortable a little bit. What about giving God an opportunity to show up in a service and not shut them down so quick. Sometimes in our church services, we have somebody speaks in a tongue, and, and when they speak, it's louder than the rest. I, I, I believe that it's very much in order to speak quietly in tongues if you're praying, just as if I was a Mexican. I do it in my, anyways. If I was Mexican or Guatemalan, I might pray in this service or to, to God in my native tongue, Spanish. I don't know. Do you ever pray in Norwegian? Yeah. yeah. Should we throw her out of the church? <laughs> right? Well, this is what sometimes the church does. Oh, somebody spoke in tongues. There was no interpretation. They're out. Well, she, can she do a Norwegian? She can do she Norwegian, Spanish, French. Quietly. Quietly. I don't think anyone should be praying in any language loud if we're just all worshiping. And we're praying. Okay, so we're just praying and maybe we're worshiping and some, oh, Señor, te amo, te necesito, Señor, whatever we're doing. And, we're, and all of a sudden, somebody starts speaking loudly. And you go, oh, no, what do we do? So everyone kind of gets quiet and we listen to it. And then we all panic. What does this mean? Well, what it means is that God is trying to talk to us, we hope, and there needs to be an interpretation. Now, that interpretation should come. When it doesn't come, the speaker needs to learn what's the difference between my prayer language and a word that's meant for the whole church. 
And they do, oh, you know what? I think I was just supposed to just, I'm just praying here. I'm not supposed to be prophesying. I'm not supposed to be talking out loud. That's what the scriptures talk, teach us in Corinthians. There's supposed to be order. But order doesn't look American. <laughs> Anyone ever been to an African service? They are out of order constantly. <laughs> Why? Because their culture is out of order compared to ours. No, this is, we need to let, let God be God and not an American and say, okay, God, we're going to, you know, we, we, we're going to encourage people not to be weird. This is not your opportunity to, to make a, a, a name for yourself and you proclaim some great word. This is a time for God to move, but give him the opportunity. See, this is what Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst, in our lives. He came 2,000 years ago and he changed the world. Read the book of Acts, and you're going to see filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? Because it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, something changes towards the end of Acts that you see mimicked in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. It doesn't keep saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then it says, walk in the Spirit. See, because after you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to walk in the Spirit. Your life should be changed and transformed. It's not just about always living in the supernatural and having these cool meetings where, you know, tongues of fire happen or whatever it is might be happening. It's about getting filled with the power of God and then letting that transform your life. Then you walk in the Spirit and then you live it out and your life should be being transformed all the time, but we're, not, we're lacking the transformation. We're lacking the power because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit in and we're not giving him all of our lives. We're not surrendering to him. We have to surrender and say, I'm going to give it up to you. You can have all of it and watch what he does in our life. It's not about us making it happen. It's about him doing things in and through us that makes the difference. It's amazing. This day really is so important to us and to, to celebrate and, and to think about God. Salvation was enough. If that's all he would have ever done, if he would have totally left, just left us alone and says, I'll come back when you die and bring you to heaven, you're on your own, it would have still been enough. I mean, really, we're saved. If we would have to scratch through this life and just hoping, you know, just knowing that finally when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I would have nothing else, his sacrifice was enough. But he says, no, I'm going to blow your socks off. I'm going to give you something that will transform your life and change you. And you will become an instrument to change others. I'm going to give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Luke, Luke makes it very clear. He says, ask Ask. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus said, and we, we really are about to wrap up. When Jesus sent the, them waiting for the Holy Spirit, it might, have, might as well have been, go wait for Unga Bunga. Because they had no idea what they were waiting for. Not really. And if, and if they did, they took it out of Joel, they took it out of some of the places, which Peter says... Listen, this is, we're, this is doctrinal. We can, we, anyone who has questions, we'll go through all the doctrine more slowly, the teaching. Peter said, this is to fulfill the prophecy that Joel gave, right? Remember that? Some of you guys questioning me. Hey, I don't know if this is... This is to fulfill the prophecy of Joel. In the prophecy of Joel chapter 3, it says, in the last days I'll pour out my... Okay, there it is. In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh on my sons and daughters. Sons shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Okay, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs of the earth beneath. Blood and fire, vapor, so. Pete, Paul said, I'm sorry, Peter said, this is a fulfillment of the scripture in Joel. In Joel it says prophecy, Visions, spirit. In Acts, we see fire, tongues, preaching. How did that fulfill it? 
Nothing that happened in Pentecost is said in Joel. Oh, because it's the same Holy Spirit. And he's not bound. He says, this is my spirit. And in addition to this, I got some other things. They're going to happen. Just wait and see. And then we begin to see that they found out what some of these gifts were in Corinthians. They were speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Did you notice in that when they spoke in tongues, nobody interpreted for them. They were all out of order. Nobody interpreted. They didn't have to because they all heard in their own languages. They gift speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, gifts of discernment. Um, these are the gifts that we're beginning to see that, that God has for us through the Holy Spirit. And all I can say is, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. If there is something that God has for you and you don't have it yet, do you want it? Yes. Well, that's the place to start. And to say, and I don't understand it, and it doesn't have to be even what I say. But if God has something that he desires us to have and to walk in, I want it. Now, if it's of man, I don't want it. If it's a man-made doctrine, I don't want it. But if it's of God, I want it. And so this is where we start. We start with a pure heart. We're not going to ask for something specific. I don't think we should ask, God, I want to speak in tongues. I want to prophesy. I want, how about, God, I want more of you. I want the Holy Spirit in fullness. If there's something that, that you have for me and because of my, my teachings, my understanding, my fears that I, I don't have, well, help me get rid of that stuff so I can have what you've got for me. You know, if somebody told me that there was $1,000 waiting for me in a little box in the middle of East L.A., I'd be hesitant. I'm serious. I'd be a little scared to go get it. It's kind of like what we're dealing with today. We're a little scared to go get this gift because it's going to be meh. But God, we want it. Let's go ahead and play that song as we close in prayer. Father, I don't want to convince anyone of anything other than your good and that you have good gifts for us. And you're a good father. And you said if we had asked for the Holy Spirit, you'd give it to us. God, and, and I know that when I got saved, I, I got the Holy Spirit for my salvation. I didn't have to ask. So Lord, I'm taking it by faith that I need to ask for a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and I, I've received it. Because I've done this 25 years ago. And you've walked with me and you've empowered me. This morning, God, we pray. Come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with joy. Fill us with power. Don't let anyone leave here discouraged, confused, without some time in prayer and maybe talking with someone or even setting up a time to talk to somebody about this message. Don't let the enemy come in and, and bring any confusion. Don't let my words have can cause confusion. But Lord, let us seek you for everything you have for us. God, that we might be world changers and life changers. That our lives would be changed. We're going to just stay in this attitude and worship and prayer. When you're done, go home. But we're not going to dismiss any more than what we're doing right now. We're just going to play this song and worship and the altars are open to come and pray thank you